Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, All Hands Vodka, Costa Sunglasses, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Recently, some friends and I got the chance to spend a few days fishing around Chandelier Islands, remotely located on the easternmost point of Louisiana. During our trip, we stayed in a floating fish camp called the Pelican Chandelier and spent our days chasing bull reds, jacks, and other flats fish, and spent our nights eating great food, smoking cigars, and enjoying drinks on the camp's rooftop. We carved out a little time to sit down with the Pelican's owner and operator, Richard Schmidt, to hear his story and the history of the Pelican and how he likes to approach these big fish. In this podcast, Richard shares about their fishing and operations, what he's learned from taking on the pelican. And during our rapid fire questions, Vince DeGura and Chase Hancock from Skinny Water Culture hop in and help pick Richard's brain and hear about his passion for boxing, shark stories, and so on. To learn more about the pelican chandelier and to book your spot for next year, head to the blog post at captainscollective.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me was like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? At? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right, well, hey, Richard, thanks first off for having us to this beautiful setup you have here in Chandelier Islands. And uh, thanks for making some time this morning before we go and fish to sit down, tell me your story, tell me about your operation here. And man, it's been nothing but first class. Thank you, man. It's so good to have you guys on board, Hunter. It's been it's been fun so far. Yeah, so tell me, tell me about the history of this place before we even dive into you. Tell me about kind of the Pelican Chandelier and the history and, and what you're trying to move it towards today. Wow. Yeah. So there was a guy named Mark Stebley who's had this place forever. And it's been a special place for everyone who's uh, ever visited Chandelier. Um, it's been a refuge for people in their boats during storms. They can come and, and be safe. Um, and literally everybody that I know in, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast has come and at least spent a night here, you know. Um, and I believe he started it in around 1983. Um, and it was just a little barge he built by hand, all by himself, and uh, it's expanded into what it is today. However, um, it has been destroyed a few times by hurricanes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's just part of the gig. Yeah, absolutely. So 1983 starts as a little little barge, mostly yeah. trout trips. And yes, it's it's a uh, trout trips. He had four or five Carolina skiffs, and they run out and. Then, and gosh, back in the day, I mean, everybody likes to talk about back in the day, mm -hmm. the trout fishing was just ridiculous. Um, you could blindfold yourself and just run the skiff, shut it off, and 
blind cast and catch all the trout you wanted. Um, wow. So it's, it's, uh, but it's, you know, it, those days are still available, but just not every day like the old days. Back then, did they, was it still eight people? Was it, has it expanded in its capacity to hold anglers? Well, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, we have a different, um, a marketing strategy than he had mm-hmm. um, we're trying to keep it at eight to nine ten people max mm-hmm. um, just because it makes it a more comfortable environment yeah um, uh, I think he had just and I stayed on several just overnight trips is what he called them and it was uh, very inexpensive but the logistics of this place it's like you I need to have eight people come out stay for three nights because it takes so it's a it's an it's a production to get all yeah. the stuff out here you know Definitely. and the fuel and the employees and the the food and the fuel uh, yeah so it's uh and then it's it's always worth it you know so so for those listening give them a run through of what they would expect if they were doing are all your trips mostly three four day trips every trip we have is three nights and four days okay uh, so you'll show up at the dock in ocean springs harbor uh, we'll load up your gear around 11 11 30 if possible and uh into a 32 foot uh twin v um catamaran boat and it's a pretty comfortable ride um, and run you out here uh, we provide your ice water uh, some of the best food you'll ever have for mm. you know uh, accommodations uh, AC generator um, we're gonna provide you with a skiff uh, with push poles mm-hmm. uh, so you can uh, pull around look for redfish or just drift the trout beds and, and catch trout it's a um, it's 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 a magical place. But I'd like to go through what your day would look like. So yeah. you know, you're gonna arrive, and generally everyone is so excited. They get here, we throw the bags in the in the room, and everyone jumps in a skiff and they just haul butt. You know, mm-hmm. we have lunch prepared, and it's like, okay, guys, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guys will come back eventually. You know, when they get hungry. Uh, so they'll fish that first afternoon, and when they come in, we have hors d'oeuvres and steaks already on the grill, ready for you to. Mm-hmm for dinner um, and there's a cocktail I call it the cocktail lounge sky bar you know yeah uh, on top where you can hang out and have a cocktail and watch the sunset and it's just some of the most beautiful sunsets ever mm-hmm. and we'll wake up early in the morning um, my crew Jason Cox and Eli Troutman and sometimes myself are up at 4:30 in the morning making coffee and breakfast and uh, making sure you have plenty to go and you know plenty of fuel to, to go with uh, to take with you to go out and for a full day of fishing yeah and when you come in, we'll have lunch ready, and uh, you know a lot of people take naps in the heat of the day and go back out for the evening bite and, and come back in. So, yeah, it was awesome last night. To, one of the cool things about kind of how we're doing this trip, all all eight of us are, you know, we all either knew each other or knew of each other, and so everybody goes out in their skiffs and running all over the place, and um, you know some of the guys didn't even want to stop here on the way in. They just as soon as they got to the island, they just started fishing and um but it's fun because you know as there's smoke on the grill coming up and you're sitting at the sky bar and you're talking to your friends recapping the day showing photos i mean that's that's real it it definitely not only pulls you away from you know the normal rhythms of life but it also just it's so relaxing and you you don't have cell phone service you do have wi-fi here yeah but you know all day you're just out there and you're just wondering you're like 
we, we were getting on the radio and we didn't hear anything and we were like i guess everybody else is on fish we all got back and pretty much that's yeah. what happened you know that's true that's one thing i wanted to mention too this is a, it's a do-it-yourself operation we're gonna mm -hmm. send you or we're gonna give you an idea where the fish are and if you're struggling really hard we'll get in the boat and go with you but it's it's not that hard mm -hmm. as you can tell we had four skiffs out yesterday and everyone caught personal best redfish mm -hmm. on fly um multiple times over yeah uh, so it was um it's uh it, it's it's a definitely a, a doable trip and, and also you get some satisfaction when you go out and find fish on your own you know and you just it feels so much better you know like hey i did this i you know i used my guts and and what i know about reading water and, and fish and made it happen on a, a rod that's made to catch a brook trout in the stream you know yeah. you're pulling in 30 30 pound fish yeah very visual too i mean oh. you can see them here it's not like you're just blind casting yeah. into i mean you can very visual fishery and you were talking about the sky bar so you have the sky bar you got bunk rooms you got yes. give them the run through of the the layout and everything of the actual because this is this is a really special place i'm i'm sure to some people they, they might miss just how unique it is but give everybody the run through of kind of what the setup is here yeah absolutely so we have three barges um moored together and they're about 48 by 60 feet long and the first one is the galley and the crew shower quarters and the generator room uh, the next barge moored is has a little screen porch on it and it's just a bunkhouse and it's this is a fishing lodge it's yeah. not you know, I would like to make it fancy, but it is what it is. It was um, air conditioned last night. It's air conditioned, and it was ice cold. I had to bring my sleeping bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a lodge, um, and you're going to be sleeping with eight guys that, some of them may snore. Um, but we have CPAP available, you know, uh, electricity for that and distilled water. Uh, but the next barge is the crew barge, and we have a screen porch that we're sitting in right now doing this podcast. And, uh, you know, eventually we're going to convert this into an actual, you know, nice hangout instead of, a, you know, instead of just a screen barge and the, and the crew quarters. And above us is the, uh, just the Sky Lounge and some of the best sunsets and sunrises and, and just, uh, you know, fellowship with your friends happens up there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. Like you said, whenever we were recapping our day, you know, there's nobody staring at their phones. Everyone is engaged in conversation and just it's reminding me of the old times. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely feels like you're, you're either going back in time or you're, you're going to a different planet, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> we have a guy that comes here a couple of times a year named Kyle Kennedy. And he says that he, he made a shirt and he called it like uh, the pelican on the moon or, or something like that because you're <laughs> you're so disconnected from society when you're out here and yeah. you're just in wild you're in nature and, uh, and you can choose with the wi-fi i like it too because a lot of us have kids you know you yeah. can choose if you engage and who you engage right. with you know so yep. basically everybody is fun too you know people are kind of coming in and they're they're calling their families and facetime in so that's it, it's absolutely a a great setup Tell me a little bit about you. Where do you and the story of the Pelican intersect? Well, um, of course, Mark Stebley was a legend. Um, everyone knew him, and, and he was actually my neighbor growing up, kind of. Uh, and I had an opportunity to come work for him uh, back in, like, 1996 or so. And... Um, and I would run trips for him, like run people out every now and then. And I'd get to stay tonight and fish. You know, that was part of the 
part of the gig, he would call it. Hey, yeah. you, you, know, you run these guys out, I'll let you spend the night and you get to fish all day. Um, so, uh, and I did that for him for a while and, you know, um, life gets in the way. I got married, had kids and um, being in, staying out here to work was not going to be an option with, with a family. Yeah. Um, now my family is basically grown um, for the most part and uh, uh, the opportunity came available. So Mark said, hey man, I'm thinking about selling the Pelican. I was like, are you kidding me? I said, this place is magical. And he's yeah. like, but I only want to sell it to someone who's going to treat it the way I would. And so back in January of I guess, 2000, we, uh, we made a deal and shook on it. And um, I hope I'm doing him proud. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to imagine a place like this going in the hands of somebody who would take something you built, literally built by hand and you literally poured your blood, sweat, and tears into, and then, you know, hard to imagine it going to somebody who wouldn't honor that. So I'm sure that felt to you pretty meaningful to It absolutely get that was, torch. man. It, it, it really was. And then, um, you know, not only did he build it by hand once, he built it three times because it got destroyed in three hurricanes, <laughs> or two hurricanes. Wow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, it's pretty special, and I feel honored. Um, and we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. The, the things that, that are important to me are conservation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that we can be a gateway to the chandeliers for conservation. Um, I'm hoping we can start promoting more catch and release. We're talking about doing a uh, catch photograph and release tournament where the, at the end of the year, whoever catches and releases the biggest trout and the biggest redfish, you know, maybe gets a thousand dollars off the trip next year. So are wow. they get to come for free? Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I think that's a pretty good, you know, um, that's a, that's a pretty good incentive to release a nice fish. Mm -hmm. Um, let that baby grow because this is, you know, this is obviously my livelihood. I mm -hmm. need people to come out here and catch fish, but there has to be fish to catch. Um, but for me, honestly, uh, catching fish is, not my priority when i get out here i just i melt i relax i just turn into a just a piece of jelly um, yeah it's so relaxing as you i think you i've seen you yeah <laughs> yeah relaxing I, yeah it's 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 an easy thing to do here no no hard task here with that you know back mm -hmm. at home with kids and traffic and things like that i think people have struggle a little bit more yeah. so did you grow up fishing here as a kid i sure did um yeah it was uh Gosh, I would get out of school at three o'clock in the afternoon and, and jump in my dad's 19-foot aqua sport and haul butt, knowing I only had an hour to fish before it got too dark. And I would fish, 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 fish because I'm just eating up with it, and then jump in the boat at dusk and run wow. home. And how old were you at the time? You think? Oh gosh, you know, old enough for him to let me use the boat, so probably 15. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, this is it's a pretty it's a pretty far place for a 15 most 15-year-olds. Yes, run. that's. That's the crazy thing. I don't know that people understand. We're 26 miles offshore, and it can get pretty treacherous. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's if you've ever been in the Gulf, you know how choppy the water gets, and it's there's not big, huge ground swells that you get to see in the Atlantic where you can kind of dodge it. The waves come and they come and they come and they come, and you think that you're never going to get here, and you're in the middle of the ocean, and you can't see land behind you, and you can't see land in front of you, and it's uh, it's a uh, <laughs> you feel kind of small. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have any stories over the years of running out here where you thought, I'm going down with the ship? Have you gone down with the ship? I have not gone down with the ship. I've taken several, several waves over the bow. And um, I just, 
the only time I think I was felt like I was in trouble and I never wanted to tell my dad this, so I hope he's not listening, uh, was in his aqua sport. Yeah. <laughs> I think we almost sunk that thing a few times. But, wow. Um, man, my little Hell's Bay, it takes – I am <laughs> I shouldn't feel so comfortable taking the waves over the bow as I do. Yeah. But um, it's uh, – yeah, it's 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 not a place where you want to come out in a 18 foot skiff and and do this on the reg, you know. And that's the beauty of the place. We have this 32 foot twin V that's going to get you out here in anything, and you're going to roll up to our dock, and we're going to have five polling skiffs waiting for you. Yep. And um, so this is, I think it's the the, I think it's the best way to experience the chandeliers, especially for a sight fisherman. Yeah. So tell me about with for you. So you're a kid. You're you're coming down here. You're fishing your dad's aqua sport. At one point, you get the opportunity to uh, work for Mike. Mark, Mark. Mark Stebley, yes. So at one point, you get the opportunity to work for Mark. And then kind of for you, did you begin guiding shortly after that? Did you go into a, a regular career? Well, what did that I path look started like? as a marine biologist. Um, fun job. Oh, my gosh. So much fun. Um, but it still wasn't my passion, hmm. you know. Uh, so I got my captain's license, and I started like an apprenticeship underneath a, another guy and you know flats fishing I didn't know that's how I was going to evolve I knew I wanted to work on the water mm-hmm. and uh, this guy named Bo Hamilton had he worked for another man that had several boats and Bo would let me operate sometimes and mostly clean the boats mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and eventually when I could afford my own boat um, I, you know I started 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 guiding around Ocean Springs and just part-time you know, just to get my feet wet and see if I could see if I could do it um, and uh, yeah but, you know family is there and you know the number one thing in my life is family you know? mm-hmm. and so a fishing guide is and most of these captains that you've interviewed can tell you that you're gone before the sun comes up and you don't get home until the sun comes down and then you're beat from being in the sun so it kind of came down to a point where you know at the time my wife I had a two-year-old she's like you can either be a fishing guide or you can be a husband mm. it's like I think I'll be a daddy yeah. you know so I went back what did you do in that season I sold insurance okay. um, which is a very lucrative career but it's um never fulfilled my passion mm-hmm. you know I sat behind a desk getting yelled at by people and I had to wear shoes of all things I mean yeah um and uh you know, it's uh, it's it's a pretty big leap of faith to leave a secure income sure. to uh, and take on quite a huge debt <laughs> when yeah. buying this place. Uh, to um, uh, but you know, it's I, I'm, I'm following my dream finally after 51 years. Yeah. You know. Um, so tell me about the leap of faith because I think that's I think that's something that when I interview people and they talk about making a and most of the time it's in the context of I quit my job and became a full-time guide, but I still lived in the city. I still, mm-hmm. you know, had for you this, and then in a lot of them, when they become full-time guides, they don't take on large debts buying right. a big business. <laughs> right. So tell me about what did it look like for you to work through that? And was that an easy leap to take? And no, I'm still processing it because I part, I was a part, I was, let me back up a little bit. I owned a fly shop from, <laughs> I just keep digging out gold yeah, here from 1999 <laughs> until 2005 and that kind of jump-started my guiding career um, still part-time guiding uh, we did um, and this was really before the internet so somehow I got hooked up with uh, the Department of Tourism for Mississippi 
and he brought in Mark Sosin, and we did several fly fishing shows, and he brought in some this guy named Chad Foster from Fly Fishing America, and we did TV shows with him, and uh, from every different network, from TNT, we, you know, and, and every time we did a show, the phone would just start ringing. So I stayed, you know, I kept my weekends booked, mm-hmm. um, and booked, and booked, and booked. And then um, I think that's that was the point around 2005 or so, and my wife was like, you know, hey, I decided, you know, I knew it was it was taking a toll on my on being a dad. Yeah. And, uh, but um, then the fly shop is a great way to make a small fortune. I mean, you you start out with this large fortune, and after five years, you just have a small fortune left. If anything, it's <laughs> it's a tough business. I don't know how people do it. With um, with kind of looking back at your life in those mm-hmm. different shifts and then the most recent shift of kind of coming into this what advice would you give people who are wanting to do some sort of go from insurance to guiding or owning a shop lodge whatever what what advice would you give them oh my gosh man just think about the amount of work you put into the job that you hate could you imagine putting in that same amount of work for something that you love and you're passionate about mm-hmm. i mean um you're going to do it tenfold, you know, twice the effort, ten times the effort that I know I'm putting in ten times the effort that I did mm-hmm. in insurance to this place and to my guiding career. Because, um, yeah. you know, I absolutely love it. And, the, and I think one of the biggest things for me is sharing this place with people who've never seen it before mm-hmm. and sharing the Mississippi Gulf Coast with people who've never seen it before. They're like, this is Mississippi. This is crazy. I've heard all kind of crazy stuff about it, you know. Um, the water, you know, it's brown, but until you get to the islands, it's, it's pretty water. You know, we have yeah. sight fishing. We have, um, it, we have great entertainment. It's, uh, there's a lot of history in Mississippi, and it's, uh, it's worth visiting for sure. And I would love to take you fishing if you come. <laughs> so tell me about, for you, like, you're growing up out here in, you know, grew mm-hmm. up in Mississippi. You got a 19-foot aquasport when you're really getting <laughs> into it. You're getting the bug. But where does fly fishing for you come in? Because I know something that you're hoping to see more of here is that people would come and they would fly fish and see this fishery as not just a trout fishery, but a, a red fishery that's accessible for people and able to, to come out and have great days. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I think it's, um, you know, I picked up my first fly rod just like most people. My dad had one sitting in his closet and I took it outside and just started playing with it I was like, man this is kind of fun you know and he kind of showed me what to do and um and that was about it um and you know when you fish a lot it's and or if you do anything a lot and it becomes it's not a challenge anymore for me to come out and and catch fish on a spinning rod or a bait caster it was it's like okay i've done that I, I can catch my limits and then i said okay you know now i just want to catch trout that are over you know 25 inches you know that's what i want so I progressed to just trying to catch big fish. And then I said, okay, now I just want to catch trout on top water. I'm like, all right, now I'm pretty good at that. Now, what's next? And um, so let me try this on my dad's old fly rod. And I was like, oh, this is where it's at. Was it an eight weight or nine weight? I mean, it was an old Fenwick fiberglass. There's no telling, had the little, yeah. you press the button and it sucks the line back up, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, uh, and that was challenging because I honestly, I fished with that for a little while, didn't catch a fish, and I went into a flash. I went into a just a shop, and uh, this guy named Steve Loper said, "Hey man, you ought to, you know, this is a good reel rod. Go out and try this." And uh, we went out, and uh, he, a matter of fact, this is he's one of the guys that got me into want, wanting to be a, own a fly shop. He uh, he sold me the gear and then took me out fishing, and uh, we caught fish. 
Wow. So, and then I was like, this is, this is it. This is, I have arrived. This is fun. I can do the same progression now. And there's different species, you know, mm. I mean, there's, gosh. Do, do you remember your first redfish on fly? I do. It was in the uh, Horn Island Lagoon. Uh, I was waiting and I was blind casting my butt off and it, yeah, and just, I knew I had the right fly. I knew I was in the right spot and I just really did not know what I was doing, you know, and uh, boom, it finally happened and I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a, a fly, they call the chandelier special of all things. And all it is is a clouser that's yeah. tied with green and red flakes. And, okay. And, uh, but yeah. I definitely remember that fly, and if I in uh, that day, and I have a couple of those flies in my box. We're gonna try out today. Awesome. <laughs> did did you um, when you caught your first fish on fly, did you know instantly that that was gonna become a big part of your life, or was that something that you just kind of dabbled in and out of before you really got sick for it? I never picked up a spinning a casting rod again. Yeah. So that was it. I, I had arrived. I was like, okay, this is it. This is fun. And I was by myself. I had nobody to share the moment with. I was just woo, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so it was uh, a special, special thing. Wow, I, I, um, I definitely love hearing people's kind of first fish stories and how yeah. how those things often shape them in the long run. When you look back at everything in your life, that from the insurance to owning a fly shop to you know getting some of the opportunities to work here early on. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like were some of the big lessons that you learned that helped you become a better angler and better essentially guide? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, trust your gut. Oh, my gosh. Man, my gut. I mean, it's. I think that you're, there's a natural serotonin in your stomach that's when you know when something feels right, then your gut lets you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the, the same old things you know about red fishing points pockets and you know shallow water to help you see them and and things like that uh but um and i think that i hate to even say this but dealing with people in the insurance because nobody's happy in insurance you know hurricane blows away your home you know the first person that's going to yell at is me yeah um but having the patience to deal with folks that that can't really cast and you show them a hundred you know 120 fish and we don't catch any um <laughs> i still have the patience because nobody wants this person to catch a fish worse than i do yeah and but not to chastise them but to help them learn you mm-hmm. know and, and make it a teachable moment like okay, okay let's try this this time mm-hmm. well, that didn't work let's try this this time all right maybe the sport's not for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i'm a i promise you i'm a fly fishing evan- i'm a fly fishing evangelist i mean yeah if uh, I want everyone to do it, I want everyone to be successful. And I've had people that, you know, I, I had a couple last week that fished with me and we, um, same thing. They, they broke off two bull redfish over 30 pounds and it would have been their first redfish. Could you imagine their first redfish story? I mean, yeah. so I'm kind of glad it broke might off. Have, yeah. It might've ruined them. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you went out as a kid with Steve Looper, he took you out and he kind of yeah. showed you that was your, that was your kind of yeah, crash course. Right. What did that look like? And do you kind of, did, did that shape the way that you take people out and try to teach them? Absolutely. I mean, he spent more time showing me how to cast and how to strip and how to, you know, get the fish on the reel than, than you know. And so it, it, it is. And I, and he doesn't even know this. I, don't, I haven't seen him in probably 20 years. Um, but, yeah, he, um, he was a big influence on the way I, I guide people and, and uh, 
talk to him about fly fishing you know patience yeah (laughs) how has um how has your guiding changed since you've been out here oh man um (laughs) you know my guiding is I don't get to fish out here enough when I'm guiding because of the logistics. Mm-hmm. I mean, to make that 25 mile crossing in my skiff and I have someone from Birmingham or Wisconsin or St. Louis, you know, they're just not water people. So it's a little intimidating for them to get out in three foot seas. So I have to fish the barrier islands and the marshes. And, uh, but if we have a day like today, I guarantee we're, 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 we're coming out <laughs> and we're going to get here in a hurry. It's slick, guys. I wish you guys could see it. It's like butter. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the guys are tearing them up right now. Uh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. yeah. We'll be out there soon enough. One of the things I want to circle back on, too, was just we talked a lot about the actual physical place of the Pelican Chandelier. But can you kind of give people a rundown of what the the lay of the land looks like fishery-wise here? Because, you know, yeah. you, you got you, you got some interesting stuff going on with vegetation to how the flats lay give them a little rundown of that absolutely and the islands are it is about 15 miles long to the south tip from the north tip to the south tip and it runs north and south on the west side of the island are mangroves and marsh uh, and shallow flats that extend about a mile out I mean you can just about wade a mile from the marsh and mangroves to the first sandbar and a lot of my trout guys love to do that and the the grass clears the water up so it's crystal clear you can see very well and the personally you know i like to 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 pull those flats and look for big bulls floating over the grass and they just Mm -hmm. they glow the trout guys like to throw their topwater baits and over those grass and the big trout explode on them Um, and there's bayous that run through these mangroves that you can pull the skip through and go catch redfish the, there's a few cuts in the island um, and a lot of water flowing through there and so there's always fish where we find moving water. On the east side of the island it's all hard bottom sand. Uh, you can barefoot wade it uh, and there's generally big trout out there if you're a trout guy. Um, always always redfish. It's, uh, so if you can never fish the outside you got to get out there and catch redfish. Um, mm-hmm. There's schools, schools, the little slots. Unfortunately, the smallest fish we saw yesterday was 30 inches. Uh, <laughs> um, we were all okay with it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need to catch something for dinner, so somebody needs yeah. to catch a slot fish today. Yeah. Um, My bet's on Chase Hancock. Yes, I like that guy. <laughs> He's a good caster, too. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, so, yeah, the outside beach is, has two sandbars, and it's really clear water in places, and uh, it's all... Uh, one of my favorite things to do is, is grab a backpack, stick a, you know, a Yeti jug full of cold water in there and, and maybe a celebratory beer and uh, walk down the beach with a box of flies and, and in my pocket and fly rod in the other hand. And just, you know, if I walk two hours and catch one fish, it's, uh, it's pretty special. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's a good time. The solitude and the, just the one-on-one, y- you and the fish and, just enjoying the moment you know when you think about what you hope this place will become and what you hope to see here oh yeah what comes to mind so 
you know, I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel. Stebley has made a good thing happen for a long time. However, you know, I told you about following your passion. Well, my passion is fly fishing. So the more fly fishers I can get out here and show them, you know, how incredible it is, uh, you know, the more enjoyable my job is going to be. Um, also, I tend to see that the fly fishermen are more conservation minded. And yesterday we didn't keep one fish. Um, the the trout guys that come, they, they, you know, they have, they kill a lot of fish and, you know, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a paradox. I mean, it's uh, I need these guys to catch fish till they come back, but I don't want them to kill all these fish because we need them to catch for the next group, you yeah. know? Um, and you know, the truth is told, these guys get to fish once a year. So they come out and they catch as many as they can. And um, I, I, ho- I hope they get to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely cook a lot, a good portion of them for them on the third, uh, yeah, the third night. So yeah. they can. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's gonna be, that's gonna be fun. But yeah, I mean, me and you were sitting out at the dock this morning, and we were just talking about, you know, how special this place could be too for, you know, a lot of guys who fly fish. You know, there's all these stereotypes and stigmas, and the truth is, there there is bad elitism in the fly fishing community, but. For, if people remove how it, how being a fly fisherman makes them feel in comparison to other people, if you just talk about the actual experience, it's always about experience, right? Like, why do you fly fish? For the experience. Yeah. Why would you come here? For the experience. So I think, like, groups of people, similar to what Vince put together from Skinny Water Culture with this, is I think you'll see groups of people say, man, I just want to hang out with my eight friends and fly fish and everything from breakfast and coffee watching the sun sunset sunrise and having drinks from from the sky lounge to everything's about the experience and not necessarily about what do you take home it's actually just it's you know even if you take nothing home you just the experience here is really what it's absolutely all about man that's that's what i'm I, that's what i'm selling i'm selling the dream i'm selling an experience and you know um as passionate as i am about fly fishing when i get out here I rarely fish. I'm fishing today because I'm with some fishy guys and it's just fun to yeah. to have some people that are, you know, like-minded and just want to go out and catch fish and, you know, and can pull a skiff, number one. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> a lot of us like pulling and watching somebody else. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a different little challenge. It's, you know, you, you're higher up so you can yeah. see more. You're, you got a cooler perspective a lot of times on the mm-hmm. eats. I mean. Yeah, it is. It, that's, that's another thing, too. I live in Mississippi. There's... Uh, maybe two polling skiffs so i have two buddies that can fish but they're all their kids play baseball and whatever and tennis yeah. and so i have nobody to poll me so i'm pretty excited about you guys being here yeah you know my other best friend barrett from lafayette has to drive all the way over to come poll me and you're gonna be getting a bunch of uh emails from young kids yeah. i'll pull you, <laughs> I'll pull you. Yeah. yeah as soon as they pull and they do it they're like tom sawyer and hook finn they start pulling me in circles immediately so yeah. i'm like yeah, just get off of there and let me do this okay yeah especially on the beach uh <laughs> Watch the breakers. Watch the breakers. Yeah, and then we're swamped. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, I'm excited about the next bit. I want to do some rapid fire questions cool. if that's okay with you. But I think we'll do it tonight at the Sky Bar, okay. Sky Lounge, with right, uh, right. have some of the fellows around do, doing drinks and let's Perfect, go fish. Man. Yeah, let's do that, man. Cool. I'm looking forward to you pulling me around some. <laughs> All right. So we got everybody uh, here. We're having some drinks, coffee. <laughs> wait, were we recording that the whole time? Yeah, we were. Oh, so nice. Baileys, creamy. Some good content there. And some creamy yeah, Baileys. That's good stuff. But uh, time to transition to some rapid-fire questions out here on the porch. 
So our first question is, and I should say this, I got Vince Degura and Chase Hancock on the mic, and then the rest of the guys are hanging around. We're all here. Setting the scene. There's a rainbow. There is a rainbow. Could you describe the rainbow, Vince? Um, it was different colors. Um, goes up and arcs, comes down, um, off in the distance. That was amazing. Best description of a rainbow I've ever heard. Yeah. Powerful, I'm, powerful if stuff. I was, if I was blind, I could see, see it. it. So vividly. <laughs> All right, Richard, question number one. What is the sketchiest moment you've been in out here? Oh, my gosh, man. I think it's the freaking sharks. They scare me. I don't like those things at all. Um, so I had a ladyfish on on my fly, and um, I wanted to see if the redfish would come around. So I let her panic a little bit and see if it would attract some fish. And all it did was attract the sharks, and she got sharked immediately. And um, then all the sharks came, and I'm knee-deep in the water. And all these little baby sharks are running around my feet. And um, I was like, this is not about to be good. And uh, so I had a client with me, and he started high-stepping to the boat like, you know, Deion Sanders just scoring a touchdown. And uh, I was like, oh, if he's sketched, you know, maybe I should be scared. <laughs> and the uh, next thing I know, I look down, there's like 15 or 20 little, you know, two-foot-long lemon sharks, and they're, one of them chews on my little toe. And uh, so... I look like Billy White Shoes Johnson. I don't know if you guys remember him. That's <laughs> nah. kind of before your time, Vince. Yep. Vince was all in the sharks yesterday. I was, there was a lot of sharks. He was the shark man. Yeah, yeah. yeah for so, sure. So, yeah, definitely. That's the sketchiest thing for me is the sharks. I hate sharks, and there's just so many. So, What's the wildest moment you've had as far as catching a fish, like a fish eat or a situation? Gosh, man, I don't know. There's so many. Um the wildest thing I think I've ever seen is I had this huge jack on, you know, it's probably 160 pounds and, um, no, you know, um, <laughs> world record, yeah, world record for sure. It was All going tackle. exactly. And I was in this, uh, fly fishing for Jack tournament. And, uh, so I was pretty excited about it. It's going to be a nice big Jack. And, uh, uh, the size of the shark that came and ate the Jack, just his stomach, like he bit the Jack and the only thing left was his mouth and his tail. And it was amazing. That was, that was pretty, pretty wild to see you, right. what type of shark was it do you know oh i'm sure it's a bull shark that's huge no. i the only the biggest sharks i've seen out here have been bulls and uh hammerheads god a hammerheads are stupid mm -hmm. big out here wild so uh t the word on the street is that you used to be a world-class boxer tell us about that it's not used to be i am <laughs> <laughs> you're never a, a has-been boxer right so you always land one here's the deal um i didn't start boxing until i was almost 40 so uh, I decided I really liked it. Um, I had a bunch of mouthy friends growing up, so I had to fight all the time because they couldn't fight, but they could run their mouth. Mm -hmm. And um, just so like Vince. that's just like me. Exactly. <laughs> so I love it. And um, the mouthy part. Yeah. So anyway, I started doing <laughs> some. Not a good yeah, fighter either. <laughs> not a good fighter. Um, so yeah, I entered some tough man contests in college, and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then. You know, years and family went by, and I started training, you know, not not professionally, but training. And um, it turns out that there's not in Mississippi anybody my age that you can actually box. They're all kids, you know, and it, it kind of hurts fighting those kids. They're faster and stronger and and um, not as pretty. But uh. So anyway, I started going to New York to fight once a year and uh, train with uh, some professional uh, trainers and uh, it's uh it's really fun i do it every february try to get in the best shape i can and um go up there and they actually have people like they have to be my same age you know i'm 52 right now so i have to fight somebody between 57 and 40 whatever seven 
and uh, they have to be within 10 pounds of my weight, which when I get down to my fighting weight, I'm at 142 pounds, which is stupid skinny. It's almost as skinny as P.J. Johansson. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fun time. It's just nothing uh, makes you feel more alive than getting hit in the face or punching somebody in the face. And uh, it's the legal way to do it. And, uh, and it actually, you know, it doesn't hurt. Once you've been hit in the face, you've ever been in a fight, it doesn't really hurt until the next day. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's fun. Is, has that changed? Like, have you learned any lessons from that that you feel like you've applied here? Yes, duck. Whenever somebody's tossing their fly behind you and you're on the platform, you got to duck. And you got to be good at ducking, especially when Vince is up there and he has no yeah. uh, presence of, you know, spatial presence of where he is and what he's doing. Oh, he knows. He just, he's <laughs> trying to catch a fish. He doesn't care. That's right. You move. So, uh, Richard had a moment yesterday, but we won't talk about it on air. I can't remember that. <laughs> a casting moment. Oh, yeah. I hooked myself in the ass twice. It's because the guy was screaming at me. <laughs> it got me all. To be fair, you didn't hook me, though. Yeah, because I like so, I, I used yeah. to like you. Oh. You had you can, you can control the fly like that. So. Yes. I I was mad at myself. So, what's one piece of gear you have to have on the boat with you that's not a fishing rod or or fly? Oh man, that's interesting. Um, besides sunglasses, uh, our raincoats, man, beer. Oh, if you don't have beer, then we can't fish. We can't <laughs> even be friends. Um, I. Pulled up next to this guy in his skiff the other day, um, Bryson. Hey, man, toss me a beer. And he throws me this thing, and it's like some kind of spiked seltzer tropical punch. And said, I'm like, that's not a beer, dude. Um, so uh, unless you're drinking. Was it all hands? If you're drinking all hands, you may come on the boat and fish. Um, <laughs> but whatever that stuff is he tossed me is not beer and not considered an all hands. So. Remix in a huge case of all hands that lasted four hours yeah <laughs> i heard it was good yeah. <laughs> thanks for sharing guys the problem with yeah. all hands is they taste like a delicious treat yeah but so they you drink two and then you have to sober up for the next four hours yeah. they long. they pack a punch like richard s fighting another 52 hey. year old man in hey. new york <laughs> maybe they can uh <laughs> yeah that's gonna be the next logo maybe they'll sponsor me how about that you should be on a can Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. Powerful stuff. Very powerful. It, when you get a chance to fish with all these different anglers over mm -hmm. the years and have people come through, in your opinion, what are some things that make a great angler? Gosh, the eyes are my favorite. Um, if someone can see fish before I see them, I get so excited and pumped up about that. Um, I think even you yesterday were like, you cannot see that fish? Like, no, dude, I'm 52. You're only like 15. I mean, I can't see. Um so that that's uh, that's my favorite thing is somebody with eyes and and you know I don't get unfortunately we don't get a whole lot of great anglers so we're we're blessed to have you guys on board and, and it's fun to watch you guys fish man it's uh, just insane the casting and the way you guys can see and and the, the hook sets and and especially the way you land fish hunter I mean you've only broken <laughs> off like two of my personal best this weekend so um. who fishes twenty pound tippet dude. <laughs> Normal in the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, getting there. But, yeah, just just somebody that can actually throw a backhand cast and see fish is awesome. I like fishing with people who can't see because then whenever I cast out a fish and they didn't see the fish, I'm like, oh, perfect presentation. <laughs> can I scratch all of that and retract that statement and say 
the most important thing I like about someone is that they, that they can pull a skiff. And um, yeah. you're getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> I was in the surf. <laughs> I have a question for Vince. Yesterday we went out crabbing with Richard, and he took us to this top secret crab spot. Crab X. It was my spot. <laughs> he found crab it. X. He's been scouting it since he's been yeah, here. On Google Earth yeah, and uh, kind of looking at the contour of the ground and everything. Give us some tips on crabbing. Richard, you can chime in too, but Vince, could you give us just some crabbing tips based off your experience? Doing it the way we were doing it, you just got to go hard on it. You can't let the crab get away. So yeah. you just got to, we were just dip netting them. You know, it's like ankle deep water, a little little bit more than that, but they're going to get away from you. And if they get away from you, they're going to bite you. So they're, or not bite you, but claw you. So Yeah, yeah they're mean. They're, they're very, yeah, they, it, get, they get mad. They, yeah. they get mad if you try to catch them. So small nets. Smaller net, the better. More skill is like fly fishing. For yeah. Crabs. Anybody can go out there with a big net and catch yeah. crabs. Yeah. Well, the sure. thing, Vince the thing, is using a bait net. Well, Vince so. has got good eyes. He's spotting these crabs from 100 yards away. Yeah, I mean, he's like two crabs 100 yards up here. Yeah. Two crabs, two o'clock. We developed a two-person system, too, where they were trying to run deep, but then we'd have a – basically, we would – it's Teamwork. like dog hunting. You yeah. know, we would just basically push them to each other and scoop them up. And I think overall we got some great crabbing content. Yeah. Richard yeah. was caddying the – Skip there. He wasn't Marquesa. doing much. Yeah. <laughs> he had the he had the turtle box on it and the and was monitoring the beers yeah. and yes, and keeping keeping the sharks away from you guys. By the way, you're welcome. You put me in the water with the sharks. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, hey, we want to get you a fish since Hunter's already caught him today. Hunter, stay on the bow. Vince, get out there with the sharks. So and you were doing something you call marinating. Yes. Oh yeah, that was which awesome. Is when you just lay just in the water, float in and the water and and drink a cold beer so it's uh you know the way i think of your, your intake and you know, you're putting in some fresh spring water and hops into your body mm-hmm. and then um, releasing the toxins in the salt water it's, uh, <laughs> it's important very important it's the circle of life so give us a full talk through of your perfect day out here if you if you could write your own perfect day from oh, man. the little <clears throat> details give us that including a nice marinade session see that's it now you you nailed it with that man my my perfect day is waking up to uh pancakes that jason cox just cooked for us and bacon and clear blue skies light west wind so we can you know fish wherever we want um you know getting out late i don't you know that's the greatest thing about fly fishing is you get to sleep in rolling around the outside beach around 9 30 or 10 and just seeing Singles bulls after a single bull floating in, you know, two foot of water, backs out, coming down the bank. Then at noon coming in, and uh, we got big lunch served at the Pelican, and possibly a nap after that, a few cold beers. And then heading out and doing it all over again, but just in a different spot, you know, look at something different, something new. Um, and then after that, you know, the sun gets low around 3 o'clock, we just sit on the north tip float, drink beer, talk about the good times we had, throw high fives, catch crabs. That was fun. That was yesterday. It was definitely a great day. <laughs> so so cooking-wise, you guys have a lot of great food here. What, yeah. what are some tips you have for cooking fish based off all the fish you guys cook up here? Gosh, man, I have some of the best chefs on the island and probably, you know, on the Mississippi coast that, that actually work for me. So it's a uh, I don't. I can't give you any tips. You'd have to talk to Todd and Jason and, and uh, Jason's dad, Ty. Uh, these guys—they're the best cooks ever. And if, if we, if you guys will actually catch some fish that small enough for us to eat, 
You'll find out how good it is. <laughs> it's been I a real one. problem. <laughs> I caught one. Did you bring one back? We yeah. One. yeah, they got one yesterday. They, they got, got one slot. We caught one fish under 30 inches yesterday. Yeah. The redfish are gigantic. I haven't even seen a redfish under 30 inches. And, and this is... Uh, I'll, I'll interview... I'll, or I'll get a... Uh, I'll splice in a little a little recipe in this from okay. him. If he's willing to yeah, get Yeah, he is. He seems um, like he might be a lot... A vault on information. He is, and he's a vault. Um, but he will tell you a little bit about how he does his redfish on the half shell, which is not rocket surgery, but his is the best. Okay. And um, he has a couple secrets that he Hunter does. Hunter does that. Yeah, he, he yeah. We do often. redfish on on the half shell, yeah. and then we just put we just kind of drizzle it with some Mike's hot honey. Yeah, that shrimp sauce piquant go. we had last <laughs> night was really good that Vince missed out on. Oh, that's yeah, right. yeah. I can afford to miss a meal or two. If you could only if you could only fish one fly the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, dude, um, you know we have a fly, a buddy of mine, uh, ties, and it, it's basically he calls it a deep minnow. It's a clouser minnow, whatever, um, and it's uh, olive with red flakes, you know, red flashy blue or crystal flash. I don't know what this stuff's called. I don't tie no flies, I um, to know, and it's uh, he calls it the chandelier special and. I would fish that on every different size that you could make it, you know, mm-hmm. the bigger, the better for these bulls and uh, the small one, it, it, everything eats it. And it resem- the color pattern. He, he patterned it off of the old traditional Kakaho minnow. That was that motor oil color, the green with the red fleck. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just, that's a staple here. And, you know, I don't think people use that one quite as much as they used to. That's one thing we got to do next time we come out is, uh, get a fly tying station set up for sure. There's yeah plenty of time like now that we yeah. could be tying time some flies, flies. Yeah. came pretty unprepared with some uh, you know I'm from Jacksonville so my redfish average 18 to a good redfish is upper slot 27 over th- over 27 is a really good red up there and so we have small little flies I tied 12 flies to come here and like two were big enough so I'm already out and, like, digging through people's bags at night <laughs> when they go to bed. God, we have broken some rods this weekend, too. Yeah. We're up to three. Three. Three rods. What's the – I was just about to ask, what's the what's the worst, like, gear breakage situation you've had, like, from skiffs to – because oh it's tough God. out here because you're, you're 26 miles off or whatever and yeah, stuff breaks. Yeah, we've sunk so many skiffs. It's crazy. You've um, sunk a bunch of skiffs? Yeah. Um – and the sandbars are pretty treacherous, and if a storm, a storm picked, the last one we sunk, a storm picked up, and the guy was running down the sand, down the beach, turned uh, west, east to come through the Pelican, hit the sandbar, and couldn't get the motor trimmed back up, and the waves overtook the boat, and they're standing on the sandbar, knee-deep water, ankle-deep water. And, uh, we tracked them down, got them, left the boat there overnight, and it flipped and sank. And We've had a couple of them sink over here against the Pelican in big big seas. You know, yeah. We've got a hard west wind. Uh, but that's that's the ones that hurt, you know. Heck, I can replace a thousand dollar fly rod with these skiffs. You know, the skiff, the fiberglass doesn't get hurt, but the engines and just trying to yeah. get the engine back to the boat guy, and then, you know, you know how it is getting parts these days, and yeah, even getting a new engine. Like, hey, I can get you one next summer. You know, you know, got a trip coming up in two days. Come on, it's uh, tough. With all the different things that you've had to learn running this place, what was the hardest thing for you to? Or what do you feel like you still don't maybe have your, your mind fully wrapped around? Um, I'm, I'm just not a good manager. Like I said, I'm a good uh, people person and salesman. Um, but the, the money part of it and the, uh, 
just managing employees and getting a good schedule going and things like that you know just details i'm not a i'm a left brain kind of guy or right i don't know the difference but i'm 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 not the detail guy you know i i ha luckily i have a good detail guy evan in my corner um who stays on my ass and like because he has to because i'm really terrible at it you know I'm like, hey, man, but look at the sales. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but you suck. <laughs> uh. With, so you guys have a lot of different skips here. I think there's like t actually 10 boats tied up right now. Right. And I know that you're, you're really into skiffs. And uh, just talk to me a little bit about kind of the different types of skiffs that you use out here and then why you use a Marquesa personally. Oh, you're talking about the skiffs that we brought. Um, yeah. The, yeah, the Marquesa for me is just, it's a... It's an amazing boat. Uh, it can get out here in a lot of in some nasty, nasty stuff, and it still floats plenty shallow, you know, to get to anywhere we need to go. But I'm not saying I haven't pushed this boat uh, off the bottom a hundred times just this weekend. But um, <laughs> uh, but it's a you know you have to have something that's going to be pretty bad to handle the seas and 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 still float shallow. Cause this whole place is nasty shallow. You know. Yeah. Um, it was great on the beach. Yes, the beach I was, is so stable. I was really glad we had the bigger skiffs for mm -hmm. being on the beach. I mean, that, that would be a totally different scenario than yes. the smaller skiffs. Right. We we have small polling skiffs at the Pelican for our clients to use, but I, we do not encourage them to take them to the other side because I think Vince told me yesterday he passed somebody that was bailing their skiff out from one of the other motherships because it got beached and washed up on the shore. That was Chase. One of these guys. Yeah, that was actually. Chase. Yeah. It was one of the guys with the SWC hat on. I can't oh, remember which one. They look a lot. They look so much alike. We're almost twins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They look exactly the same. My beard's smaller, but that's it. Really. Y'all got anything? Any questions? You've done a great job. I'm just trying to think. I'm still gathering. Are we going to be able to fish today? You think? Survey says yes. yes. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I, 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 we, we developed a new technique for crabbing yesterday. I think it's going to go viral. Um, whenever you put vents on the casting platform and pull the skiff, actually looking for the crabs. And then he has to do like a gainer off of the bow with the net and still catch the crab when he orients himself on the ground. And it's... Um, it was amazing to watch. I have it on video. It almost seemed like it was unnecessary because when I got out, when I landed, the crowd was still there, and I hadn't gotten them yet. Yeah. And then I got them. So but you catch them by surprise. The whole jump part almost, I mean, I think it's. I don't want to give away the secret, yeah. but, like, the whole jump part was really just showmanship. Yeah. Right. Well, it stuns them. They're, like, they're in awe, and yeah. they can't move. They saw that. They've never seen that before in their whole life. That's likely and a lot of people who are crabbing you know they might say do i really need an eighty thousand dollar skiff yeah but and the answer is yeah yeah do you want to catch crabs yeah. just be careful it's slippery uh underneath where the crabs were stacked on top of each other it's mm -hmm. kind of slippery vince vince uh I broke my tailbone <laughs> vince broke his tailbone on a skiff so yo dan's been looking at us like an idiot for like 30 minutes that's yeah. his only look <laughs> <laughs> dan's like why are we not fishing right now yeah I've never seen anybody fish as hard as Dan. Um, yeah. I'm excited. I hope I get to fish with him today. Oh, I hope yeah. you do too. You should be able to. I hope, he gets, to, I I hope he gets to pull me. Dan's got some questions. Does Dan have questions? No, All right, I'm just going to uh, wrap it up there. Yeah, then. cool. Um, just hop back down, Chase. You're, yeah, you're yeah. throwing the vibe off now. Sorry, I wanted Dan to get in here. All right. 
Dan's way more interesting than me. How come you uh, are you going to interview Dan ever? I, if Dan will let me, he won't. Probably. I, won't I thought this was the trip because I thought at some point Dan would get lit enough to let me interview yeah, him, but yeah. that's not it. Oh, we'll get, he'll come around. Eventually. I would like to interject. There is an awesome group of guys here on this trip, man. Yeah. Um, some fishy, fishy individuals, and just fun to hang around. And, and um, you know, I'm. We generally like to show people some of our spots if they're struggling, but we haven't had to do that. These guys have found fish on their own. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> There's spots we don't know about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going Vince today. Vince is struggling. We need to get out there. What Richard doesn't know is <laughs> we, the first night we snuck on his skiff and got all the got coordinates yeah, off his GPS. Right. Oh, yeah. But we didn't. We wanted him to be proud of us, and we didn't tell that's him. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, well, hey, Richard, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, we really appreciate it, man, having an awesome time. Hey, Hunter, great fishing with you, and I appreciate the opportunity, bro. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Help us out by sharing this podcast with your friends online and leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective.